morning. Not really, and the bus is already late. Can my life get any worse? Sounds like you're having a bad day. You don't know the half of it. The other day, I got a parking ticket. I didn't pay the meter, and I got caught. So now I have to park two blocks away to avoid getting another one, but of course it couldn't be that easy. Did you get another ticket? No, somebody slashed my tires. I got back to my car, and my tires had been cut to ribbons. <clears throat> so I had to call a tow truck and have my car towed to some tire place. And do you know how much they charge for tires these days? It's absurd. It's ridiculous. I refuse to pay it. I can't pay it. I can't pay it because I don't make enough of my job to afford it because we have this new boss and he has a degree. Like, that really matters. But the powers that be are so hyped up on him that they don't care about the rest of us. The ones that have been doing the same job year after year with no hope for advancement or raises or anything. Well, can't you just find another job? I can't quit. Why would I quit? What good would that do? It wouldn't do any good at all. So I've just got to deal with it. And dealing with it means public transportation. I have to ride the bus. I hate the bus. <laughs> I ride the bus all the time. It's really not that bad. You get to meet new people. And it's they... horrible. People smell, and they crowd you, and they push you around, and they look at you funny. Ugh. I hate it. What did I ever do in my life to deserve riding the bus? It's not fair. No, life really isn't fair at all. But whenever I start feeling down or discouraged about the things in my life, well, I just start telling God my problems. Then I feel better. You tell God your problems? Mm -hmm. There's a verse in the Bible that says not to worry about anything, but to pray about everything, to tell God what you need, and then thank him for what he's already done. And what good will that do? Well, it changes your perspective. Hey, my preacher talked about perspective once. He said that if you hold your finger up in front of your face and look just at it, that everything around it gets fuzzy. But if you look past it, it disappears. Weird. Have you ever tried it? Well, no, I haven't. Well, anyway, my perspective is fine. That is not the point. Well, then what is the point? Well, the point is, I don't know, but I've got one. <laughs> you just want to complain? No. You could try looking on the bright side. The bright side? Mm -hmm. Looking on the bright side? My situation doesn't have a bright side. Why can't you see things my way? I can't see. That's just it. You won't look at things from my perspective. You only care about yourself. <sighs> Life's not fair. No. Oh, well, it's been very nice talking to you, but I hear my friend coming. You hear your friend coming? Mm-hmm. I don't see anyone. Well, God blessed me with very good hearing. Uh-huh. Hey, hey, ready to go? I sure am. Sweet. Well... Sorry about your old cane. Oh, that's okay. I got you a new one, though. You did? Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. No problem. Right. Welcome to our fourth weekend service, and I just want to thank all of you who wrestle with the crowd at 11 o'clock. I know some of you had a tough time finding a seat in a parking place, and I want to express my gratitude to you. We are growing faster than we can keep up with a little bit right now, and so for you guys to be patient with us, I'm grateful. Let me just say something to all of you who are committed new springers. Um, we have a little room at, on Saturday nights at our first service at 6 o'clock on Saturday. We have more space at 9.15 on Sunday, so if you're a committed new springer, uh, if you could 
adjust your schedule. If it works for you, okay, that would, that would be a blessing to all of us. And so I'd appreciate you thinking about that possibility. Our series is called Change Right Now. And it's January. It's the time of year where we're thinking about change. It's a time for New Year's resolutions. What got me ginned up for the series sometime back was I began to think about how many times I had hoped to change and I had failed at it. I'd made New Year's resolutions and, and nothing came of it. So I began to think and pray and study to find out what were the real change agents. You know, 2008 was a year of change. Our president ran on a platform of change. And, and we talked about change agents. What I want to know is what are the change agents that change us internally? You know, most of our lives are not going to be defined by the events that happen or the circumstances of our world, even though that's what gets most of our attention. Our lives are going to be shaped by what's on the inside, what's at the core. So I was thinking about what is it that brings change? And I have five things, and this is the third talk of that, of that series on change agents. What I was really concerned about as I got prepped for this series, I was really clear on what the five things were. Those, were. those were obvious to me. I wasn't sure what the sequence was because I knew that if you were attending the series and you wanted to find real change in your life, it was going to be important to know what to change first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. And so I think we've done well up to this point. But I got to say this, when I looked at today's topic, I wasn't sure whether it should come third or first. I wrestled with it for a long time because I thought maybe today's topic should be the first thing that we talked about. And I think you'll see why I say that in a few minutes. But you know, the first week was changing our minds. We said that's where it all starts. The word repent in the Bible means to change our way of thinking. And that's where it all starts. Remember, it doesn't cost anything to change your mind. You don't even have to break a sweat to change your mind. All you have to be willing to do is say, what I've been doing isn't working. And I'm going to give up my pride, and I'm going to change the way I look at things. I'm going to say that things are healthy for me, are healthy. I'm going to say that things that are bad for me, and I know they're bad, I'm going to say they're bad. I'm going to change the way I think. Last week, we began to talk about the importance of, of disciplining our lives and changing our habits. And we learned that habits are like gravity. Good habits pull us to success. Bad habits pull us to failure. And I don't know about you, but I'm working on all these. You know, I'm concerned that I don't just talk to you guys. I'm concerned about this in my own life and my own thinking. Today, we're going to talk about a very important topic, and that is changing our attitudes. Attitudes are huge. Now, I know right out of the box that some of you who've been to seminars and you've read books on attitude, you're going to say, well, this is going to be a talk about being positive versus negative, having a positive attitude versus a negative attitude. I don't even think that gets us in the shallows. I, I think that's, it's, it's better to be positive than negative. But one of the things that I, I, tr I struggle with when people who talk a lot about positive attitudes, they have the idea that there's sort of an energy in being positive that actually affects the facts. Well, guys, I'm a grown-up, and I have to tell you that what I've learned in my years of living is facts are stubborn things. And facts can be bad or facts can be good. Attitudes are like optical filters. They don't change the facts. It's just how we look at the facts. And that's what changes our circumstances. Let me give you an example of this. I want to read you a letter that a college kid wrote home to her parents. Maybe this will help us understand the importance of attitude. She writes, Dear Mom and Dad, I guess you heard by now that the dorm burned. We were all in the basement smoking crack, and I guess somehow we set the dorm on fire. But nobody was hurt, and we got most of our belongings out in time. Oh, did I mention I'm getting married? I've got to because I'm going to have a baby. 
I can't wait for you to meet my boyfriend, Killer. He's a big guy in his gang. Actually, I'm not pregnant, and I don't even know anybody named Killer. There was no fire, and I'm not even sure what crack is. But I did flunk chemistry. (laughs) And I just want you to be able to put it in perspective. (laughs) That's the power of attitude. It doesn't change the facts. It just changes how we look at the facts. And that is huge. That is huge. Now, I'm not going to ask you, do you have a positive attitude or a negative attitude? I'm going to teach us today that there are two more powerful words that really get down to examine our attitudes. My, my question for all of us, including Mark, and especially Mark, my question is, do we have a rebellious attitude or an enthusiastic attitude? Because that's where the real difference is made. It's positive and negative is just a result. At the core, the question is, is my attitude rebellious or is my attitude enthusiastic? I want to take you to the Bible now, and I'm going to be reading quite a bit out of the Scripture today from the book of Numbers, chapter 13. Some of you are seated where there are pew Bibles. There's, there are Bibles in the back of the pew. If you want to grab one of those, I'm going to be reading on page 116, I think. It's Numbers, chapter 13, and I think these Scriptures will be on the iMag as well. Let's, let's get a little history going here so that we'll have a context for what we're going to read about. This is all about Israel. In its early stage, Israel was a nation that started with one man, Abraham, and became a family, and then became 12 tribes, and then a, a, a large nation. When we're reading in November, excuse me, in, in, in Numbers chapter 13, when we're reading at this place, what has happened is God has called a leader, Moses, to take the Israelites out of Egypt, where they were being treated like slaves, and to bring them into this land that God had promised. Moses had never seen the land. God didn't show it to him on Google Earth. He had no idea where he was going. God just said, I'm going to give you a homeland. And by the way, it still belongs to Israel. God said, I'm going to give you a homeland. The people hadn't seen it. And all they knew was they had been taken out of Egypt. And they were not in a healthy emotional and spiritual state. They had been treated like slaves. They had begun to lose hope and lose confidence. And frankly, many of them had a bad attitude. But God did all kinds of miracles. He promised them this land. And he did miracles. The Pharaoh did not want to let them go because they were his cheap labor force. But God made Pharaoh 10 deals he couldn't refuse. Finally, the Pharaoh said after the 10th plague, go and leave. And, and they did. They left Egypt. Now, when I read, when, excuse me, when I watch movies about this, you know, there are old movies about Israel, you know, the people of Israel going into the promised land. It looks like there are about a thousand people there. But historians tell us that when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, there were somewhere between two and a half and three and a half million people. Imagine, if you will, taking the entire population of Kansas, you know, on a long journey with no turnpikes, no McDonald's, no mechanized transportation. You don't make any fast moves with three and a half million people. But God did extraordinary things. God fed them with, with manna. It was a supernatural way of feeding. God gave them water from rocks when they didn't have water. God gave them shelter from clouds during the day and gave them light in the sky by night to give them warmth and direction. And time and time again, these people groused and complained. They were unhappy because they said, we'll never get there. 
And one day they were happy with Moses, God's leader. The next day they wanted to kill him. It was just a terrible thing. But finally, after about 11 months, they get right to the border of the promised land. And they are are really days away from living out their destiny in the place that God had for them. But before they go, Moses allows the people to select 12 spies, one man from each tribe. And their responsibility was to go over into Canaan on a reconnaissance mission. And here's some, one thing that has got to be clear or else we won't understand the rest of this message. They weren't sent over there to see, is it a do or don't proposition? They weren't going over there to say, yeah, we should go. No, we shouldn't go. Because everything that had happened in their lives was a, responsible, was a response of God saying to them, this is my plan for you. God and was, everything God had done up to that point was to get them into Canaan. So it was, a, it was basically a done deal. They just needed to respond to God's leadership in their lives. But the 12 spies went over there and they found out, sure enough, it was exactly like God said. It was a land that was blessed with plenty. One of the expressions in the Bible that I heard a lot when I was a kid, God had said it was a land that flowed with milk and honey. Now I thought that was kind of grotesque, but really what God was saying was it was a place where there was plenty for everybody. And the 12 spies go over there and they find out, sure enough, it's exactly like God said, which by the way, things will always be like God said. And they go over there, and and they found one cluster of grapes that was so mammoth that two guys had to carry it on a pole over their shoulders. And they came back, and they said, yeah, it's everything God said it was. But that was where it all fell apart. Because out of the 12 spies, 10 of the spies came back, and they brought back a report that was not part of their assignment. They said, we can't go over into that land. There are giants over there. They will kill us. We can't do it. Two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, and follow Caleb's name away, two of the spies came back and said, yeah, it's everything God said. Ten of the spies said, we saw the size of their giants. Joshua and Caleb said, but look at the size of our God. That's where I want to pick up the text. If you have your Bibles, look in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. Quote, The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. Now, remember, God had said, take the land. It's yours. I'm going to help you. But they said, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Now, were these guys negative? Yeah. They had a negative attitude, and they spread their negative attitude. But what I want to do is I want to get down to the core of what their issue was. It wasn't just that they were negative. It was that they were rebellious because God had said, this is my plan. This is what I want you to do. It belongs to you. Eventually, they would get there, and this would be their future and their homeland. But the thing was, they rebelled against God. They rebelled against God's plan. And we see what happens next. If you'll just move over into chapter 14, verse 20. The Lord said, I will pardon them, speaking to Moses, as you have requested. But as surely as I live, and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. 
They've all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me or rebelled against me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give to their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. Are you ready for this? Verse 24. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude. A different attitude. He's remained loyal to me. I'll bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. So what happened was when the people refused and rebelled against God to go into Canaan, God said, okay, I'm not going to let you into Canaan. And that's why they had to wander in the desert for 40 years. My question for you and me as, as followers of Christ today is do we have a different attitude? Because here's the deal. If we have a different attitude, we'll get to God's destination for our lives. And if we don't have a different attitude, we're going to wander around in the wilderness until we can figure out how important it is to have a different attitude. And by that, I don't mean that I'm not talking about heaven. Because if you've accepted Christ, you're going to heaven. What I'm talking about is getting to God's complete destiny for yourself in this life. Do you have a different attitude? Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, there is a line in this world, and a line in your life and my life, that marks the difference between winners and losers. And that line is, how do we deal with authority in our lives? My parents gave me many life lessons, and I owe them deep gratitude for the things that they've taught me that's helped me in life. They brought me to Jesus Christ, for which I can never be thankful enough. But next to bringing me to Jesus... What I appreciate most about my parents is they taught me this important issue of responding to authority in my life. My parents taught me that I was to say yes when an authority asked me to do something that wasn't immoral or illegal. You know, my parents taught me to respect my teachers. When I was a kid growing up, you know, the teacher was always right. It didn't matter if the teacher was wrong or right, but in our home, the teacher was always right. My dad taught me that the police were always right. If they pulled me over, I was to pull over and stop and be respectful. And I know that I'm from the South, and this isn't common today. It's not, not even part of our culture. But my parents taught me to say, sir and ma'am. They taught me to say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and no, ma'am. And that's just how I was reared. In fact, not too long ago, and this is probably showing attitude on my part, but I had said yes, sir, to a guy, and he kind of smirked and sneered at me and told me not to say sir to him. And I said, I'm not saying that to you because of who you are. I'm saying that because of who I am. And my parents taught me that. My parents taught me if you get in trouble at school, when you get home, you're in more trouble. And certainly... I had to accept their authority. You know, I hear kids talking to their parents today, and I think if I talked to my dad that way, there'd have been a brown spot on the ground. <laughs> now, some of you are listening to that today, and, and you're saying, oh, I don't know if I believe in that. You know what? My parents were talking to me to be about how to be a winner in life. I have to tell you, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm not the smartest person around. But I can tell you this, in every scenario that life has placed me, it's like God has always caused me to rise to the top. And I think a great part of that is because my parents taught me the importance of authority and responding in submission to authority. And there's no place where that's more important 
than lining up with God's authority when God tells us to do something. Because see, here's the deal. If I'm rebellious against God, it doesn't affect God adversely. It, it hurts me. That's one of the lessons my, my parents taught me that I guess every spiritual leader in my life has tried to teach me that if I rebel against God, I'm going to suffer. I mean, these people were saying, no, God, we're not going to accept your plan. We don't want to go into Canaan. And because of that, they suffered. And, and here's the deal, guys. It isn't because God is mean and he wants to make our life miserable. It's just because anytime we leave God's plan for our life, there's suffering. Let me show you what happens when we rebel against God's plan. There's a progression that takes place. Let's assume this is God's perfect plan. This is what God wants us to do. If I step away from that plan, then there's always going to be brokenness. If I don't fulfill God's perfect plan for my life, there's going to be some broken pieces. And wherever there's brokenness or broken pieces, there's going to be debris. And when there's debris, there's going to be pain. Now, I, I, I can complain about that all I want to. I can say God's not fair and life's not fair, but it's just the case. If I step away from God's perfect plan, there is going to be brokenness and debris and pain. If I step away from God's plan a little bit, there's going to be a little bit of brokenness. If I get way over here and rebel against God's plan, there's going to be a lot of brokenness and a lot of debris. Let me give you a couple of examples. This is one that I struggle with. The Bible says that our bodies are the temple of God. Now, we're in a church building. We're not in a temple. Every once in a while, I'll see some church named a temple, and that's okay with me. It's none of my business, but it really isn't a temple. A temple in the Bible was a sacred building. It was where God's presence was. The reason why this building is sacred is because you're here today, and we are, we are followers of Jesus. But outside of that, it's a building. But in the Bible, a temple was a very holy place. In fact, there was a leader one time who, when he attacked the Jewish people, he desecrated the temple by bringing a pig into the temple. Well, the Bible says the temples today are our bodies. Well, I look at God's perfect plan for my life, and I have to be honest and say, I haven't fulfilled God's perfect plan for my life because my, I haven't always treated my body like a temple. I put a lot of Twinkies into it and a lot of Bluebell ice cream. And I haven't exactly taken good care of it. I haven't exercised like I should. And, and some of us have like put, you know, substances in our body that don't belong. And so what happens when we do that, when we get away from God's perfect plan? Well, there's brokenness. And where there's brokenness, there's debris. Now, if you're here today and you have debris in your life, you know, don't feel bad because every one of us does. But the issue is this. Oftentimes, it's the debris and the pain in our lives that leads us back to be submissive to God's plan. You know, I have a lot of good friends, you know, who didn't take care of their bodies. They had to have heart bypass surgery, and now all of a sudden, they're like health freaks. Why? Because it's like, wow, what I was doing wasn't working. I've got brokenness and pain in my life, so I want to get back. Let me give you another example of this. And this could create some guilt, and I don't want that to happen today because every single one of us has issues with this. If you're married or you're in a relationship, what is God's perfect plan? Well, I think we've almost lost God's perfect plan here. For one thing, I, I hear the term, I'm in a relationship. I never know what that means. Do you? I'm in a relationship. Are we talking married here? Are we talking faithful? Are we talking future here? Are we talking commitment? It's like I'm in this nebulous, hazy relationship kind of thing. Well, let's leave that aside for a moment, but we know what God's perfect plan is. God's perfect plan is for two people, a man and a woman, who fully engage with God and fully following Christ, 
who are, who are finding God's will for their life and looking for that person who's a life partner. And, and they're looking for somebody who's fully devoted to Christ. I mean, these are people who, when they date, they're not just looking for somebody hot or looking for somebody who makes them laugh. They're, they're looking for somebody who wants to follow Jesus. Guys, let me tell you, for all of you who are single here today, if you want a healthy marriage, the, the number one telling factor of whether you're going to be in a healthy marriage with a man or woman is this. Does this person follow Jesus? Because sometimes that person's going to be mad enough at you to bite a nail in two. But if they're following Jesus, they'll still love you. You know that? So that's God's perfect plan. Find somebody who is in love with Jesus, following Christ. That's God's plan. And you know what? During the time of dating, this isn't the time for sex. You know? I mean, because here's the deal. A lot of people have sex when they're dating, and there are all kinds of promises. Yeah, I'll be with you forever, and we know how that ends up a lot of times. And I know, man, this is, a, you know, this is not what's commonly thought today. I understand that. This is God's plan. And then after you get married, you have a healthy sex life, and you love each other, and you're devoted to each other, and you live out a life following Christ, God's plan. How many of us have fulfilled God's perfect plan? None of us. Because every one of us who's married today, we've got some kind of issue with that. And here's the deal. If we stepped a little bit out of that, then we got a little bit of brokenness and a little bit of debris. If we stepped way away from that, many times, we got a ton of debris. And it's like, well, God must not love me because I have all this debris from my past. And the issue is, I was rebellious. I stepped away from God's perfect plan. So what do we do if life finds us there, which, by the way, it finds us all there this morning? First of all, I want to take us to Isaiah 53. And we're not going to read it in the Bible, but I just want to tell you what it says. Isaiah 53 is this incredible chapter because God is talking about Jesus 750 years before he's born. And the Bible says about Jesus, you know, he came into the world for us. Here's what Isaiah 53 says. All we like sheep have gone astray. That means we have moved away from God's perfect plan. All of us have. We've gone astray. Every one of us, that chapter says, has gone our own way. And the Lord has put on Jesus the iniquity of us all. It's that stepping away from God's plan and that brokenness and debris. That is why Jesus came into our world. God put on him all of our brokenness and all our failures. But guys, let me give you something to think about. If you find yourself in a place with a lot of debris or a little debris, and you know you've stepped away from God's will, here's what you need to do. Think about two expressions. You want to get as close as you can to God's perfect will. Because here's the thing. If we make mistakes in life and, and we don't sync up with God's perfect plan, some of God's perfect plan will no longer be available to us. Some of the things that God wanted to do in our lives, and I know this is true in my life. I mean, I'm thinking about this when it comes to my own health. I talked about the way I've treated my body. I mean, I go all the time. I don't get enough rest. I, I, I can never go back and be 25 years old again and exercise right and do all the right things and have a perfect diet. I cannot go back and retrieve the past. But you know what I can do? At 52 years old, I can get as close as I can to God's perfect will. As close as fast. I want to get as close as I can, as fast as I can. Because if I do that, 
God will work in my life. God, God is so merciful. He will surprise you. You say, Mark, I am so messed up in my relationship. I don't even know what I'm doing here. I don't know if we have any commitment. And maybe there's a child and it's like, I don't know what to do. Well, the thing to do is to get as close to God's perfect will. None of us is going to live in a perfect situation. But get as close as fast as you can. These guys rebelled against God. And they never fulfilled their destiny. If rebellion is the wrong attitude, what's the right attitude? The right attitude, I'm going to use the word enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is a wonderful word. I love enthusiastic people. I love being around enthusiastic people. But I want to take us to the real definition of enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is a a word that comes from two Greek words. They're jammed together. Theos is the word for God. In, of course, means in. So enthusiasm means in God. A real enthusiastic person is a person who sees God in the facts. The facts may be negative. The facts may be bad. But a person who is enthusiastic can say, hey, yeah, there are giants in the land, but I see God working there. And I want to be part of what God is doing. So what I want to do is sync up with God's perfect plan for my life. And if I do that, I can be enthusiastic. I can live life in God. Guys, what I've discovered... You know, there are people who have bad facts in their life, but they're enthusiastic. You know anybody like that? I mean, they have bad things going on, and yet they're the happiest people in the world. I mean, they're excited about life. They're excited about the future. How many of you have known somebody who had all kinds of health issues, maybe marital issues and financial issues, and you talk to them and you want to say, hey, don't you realize how much trouble you're in? But I don't seem to know. I mean, they're just happy. Well, what's the deal? It's an enthusiastic person. It's a person who's saying, yeah, my facts are bad, but God is in my facts. On the other hand, I know people, I'm thinking about one lady in particular. You know, she's married to a great guy. She's got all kinds of financial blessings in her life, and she's a nut job. You know why? She doesn't see God in her circumstances. It's like this is wrong, and that's wrong, and I'm unhappy about this. Most people would do anything to have a lifestyle like she has. Life isn't, fr- it's not a matter of the facts that we have in our lives. It's our attitude. It's like optical filters through which we look at life. So how about you and me today? W- would our attitudes be best described by the word rebellious? You know, you can go your own way. The song, you know, I'm going my own way. I'm doing what I want to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. My parents aren't going to tell me what to do. You know, my teacher's not going to tell me what to do. My boss is not going to tell me what to do. God's not going to tell me what to do. I am, you know, this is my life. I'm doing what I want to do. Is that your attitude? If so, don't be surprised by brokenness and debris. On the other hand, are you ready to be enthusiastic? Well, before we, before we go any further, I want to talk about the importance of attitudes because I think many times we emphasize facts and we de-emphasize attitudes. There, there are three things, and this, what I'm going to talk about now is the reason why I thought I might have should have talked about this first. There are three things about attitude that are so important to realize. Here's the first thing. Attitudes affect our thinking. Remember in the first message, I said your mind is your control room. The problem is not what's on the screen, it's what's in the projection room. But attitudes have a great bearing on the health of our minds. In fact, probably nothing is as important to the health of your mind and my mind as our attitudes. 
If you and I, if we have healthy attitudes, if we're enthusiastic about life, excited about what God is doing, seeing God in our life, even among the bad circumstances, what's going to happen is going to be a free-flowing thinking in our minds, and there's going to be health. And I'm careful about this because I know there are clinical reasons why some struggle with with mental and emotional issues, and, and I don't even want to get into that. That's for another day. But let me just say this. There are a lot of people today who have health issues in the emotional area, and the reason is they've got a bad attitude. See, a bad attitude is like a, is like a blocked septic, septic system. You know, when we have a bad attitude, when we're rebellious, rebe- everybody's out to get us, and life's not fair, and things just don't work, when we have that kind of attitude, it blocks up. And you know what happens in a septic system when it's blocked, man, sewage can spill back into the house. And some of us are having trouble in our thinking, not because our facts are not good, and it's not because we don't have blessings in our lives. We just have a rebellious attitude, and now it's backed up. Number one, attitudes are important to the health of our minds and our thinking. Not only that, number two, attitudes are, courage- uh, are contagious. You know, if you, if this is one reason why I've determined in my life I'm not going to let people with a bad attitude in my life. I may love them. I may do anything for them. But I don't want to let people with bad attitudes too close to me. You ever been in a situation, maybe you got a new job, and you're just so thankful to have a job and a paycheck? You're so thankful to be hired? You got the phone call. We want you to come. And, man, you're ecstatic. Woo, can't wait to go to work. And you get in there, and, and all of a sudden, you're, you're with a team or with a group that has a bad attitude. And they're talking about how rotten the boss is and how, how unfair the pay is and how the company across town is paying more money for less work. And, and, and then beyond that, you start hearing about all that. And it isn't long. Am I right? It isn't long before we're starting to say, hey, this isn't as good as I thought it was going to be. On the other hand, have you ever been around people with an enthusiastic attitude? I mean, every day, possibilities, excitement, what's out there? I mean, just being around that kind of person will make you want to charge hell with a squirt gun, you know? And that's, that's what I want. I want to be around enthusiastic people. I mean, think about what happened back here in the book of Numbers. These 10 guys, just 10 guys, remember there were two and a half, three and a half million people, just 10 guys came back and said, we can't do it, and within 24 hours, All those people, basically, with a few exceptions, they were crying and whining and saying, we can't do it. I want to talk to all leaders and especially all moms and dads here. We got to realize that our attitudes are going to be very contagious with those around us. I'm a parent. It's very important to me to teach my kids the right things. But you know, I think it's even more important that my attitude be the right attitude because they don't pick it up from me. Moms and dads, if you come home and you complain about work and how lousy work is and it's just cruddy and it's a slime pit and, it, you know, it's unfair and I have a jerk for a boss. I mean, if you come home talking like that, don't be surprised when your kids come home and talk about what a jerk their teacher is because attitudes are contagious one way or the other. If you have a bad attitude, if you have a rebellious attitude, you're going to contaminate. If you have an enthusiastic attitude, if an in-God attitude is in your life, you're going to affect and influence the people who are around you. Attitudes are so powerful. Attitudes are so important. It affects our thinking. It's, it, it's contagious. And here's the third reason why attitudes are so powerful. And I just draw this straight out of the Bible. 
Attitude will make the difference of you getting where God wants you to go and not getting where God wants you to go. I mean, what did God say about Caleb? Did God say, hey, you know what? All these people are not going to go into Canaan because they're not very smart. Caleb is smart. It's not what God said. I mean, they sat on the same facts. Each, each Caleb and the, and the people who didn't go into Canaan, they had the same body of facts. God said, Caleb is going into the promised land because he has a different attitude. I'm talking to some of you here today, and you're very ordinary. And you say, I don't know if I can reach the top because I just don't have intelligence that everybody else has. Or I'm not as attractive or as beautiful as other people Let me tell you something. If you will have an enthusiastic in God attitude, there is nothing that is impossible in your life. I can vouch for the fact that God, if you have a wonderful attitude, enthusiastic in God attitude, God will bring you far past people who are much smarter who have a bad attitude. If somebody said, Mark, I'm going to give you a choice. You can be five beta kappa. You can graduate valedictorian from Harvard or you can be a high school graduate with a good attitude. I promise you, every day of the week, I'd rather be a high school graduate with a good attitude. It is attitude that takes us where we need to go. Let me ask you a question as we close out the message today. If you could transport yourself back in time, knowing yourself as I know myself, which side would you have been on? I thought about that a lot as I prepared for this message. Would I have been with Caleb after seeing the giants saying, hey, I'm not worried about the giants. God said we could do this. This is God's will for our life. I'm not rebellious. I'm ready to go. Would you have been on that side? Or would you have been with the vast majority who said, we don't want to risk it? All you have to do and all I have to do is look at our lives right now. But here's the beauty of all this. Remember week one, I said you can change your mind. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't take any energy. By the same token, you and I can change our attitudes. We can determine how we're going to look at life. That's up to us. We're the ones who make the choice. There's a great story. I don't have time to read it. It's out of the Gospel of Matthew. But I love this story, and, and I want to close out with it today. And Jesus is talking about a dad who was a farmer, and he had two boys. And he asked his first son to go work in his field. And the boy said, not going to do it. I don't see it happening. I'm not going. And I can identify with this kid. Because my first reaction, frankly, I have a type A personality. There are no pastels in my personality. If I don't want to do something, I say I don't want to do it. And that can be my my personality sometimes. And this kid was rebellious. He said, I'm not going. The second kid said, yes, sir, I will go. But he didn't. He's lying. But this first kid who said, I won't go work in your field, according to Jesus' story, the Bible says he changed his feeling about it. The, the word is, if you have many translations, the word is repent, but it's not the word for repent that I showed you in week one that means change your mind. It's the Greek word metamelomai, which means to change your feelings. And I don't know what went on in this kid's life. Maybe he got to realizing that his dad provided everything he had to eat. Maybe he just thought, man, I was being a jerk. But he changed his feeling. He changed his attitude. You know what Jesus said? That's the kid that did the Father's will. In effect, what the Lord was saying is, if you and I are willing to change our attitudes, Jesus is saying, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. It's not a sin to have a bad attitude at first blush. The sin comes in when we let that attitude stay there. You and I have the power 
to change our attitudes, and that's going to make all the difference. This has been a struggle for me, and I have to be honest with you. I'm talking to myself more than I'm talking to anybody in this room because many times in my life, I've deviated from God's plan, and I've had brokenness, and I've had debris, and I've had pain. And I've had to change my attitude about many things. But there's one change that as I stand before you today as pastor of this church that really comes to mind. It happened, goes back about a quarter century ago. In the early 80s, I was contacted by the pastor, previous pastor of this church. He, he was and is a wonderful man of God and a hero of mine. He had been a college professor that I had, a, my favorite college professor when I was in college. At this time, of course, I'm living in Texas. I'm about 25, 26 years old. We just built a brand new house just a few minutes away from where Mary Alice and I went to high school. We're living in Dallas, Fort Worth. I mean, we live in Fort Worth, you know, and it's just great. And I'm loving life and I'm enjoying And this pastor starts calling me and saying, hey, I'm, I want, I'm getting close to the end of my career and I'd like for you to think about coming up to work with me and perhaps following me. And that was such an honor to be asked, but I have to tell you, I wasn't the slightest bit interested because I didn't even, I didn't want to go to Kansas. Never been here, but I was prejudiced about it. I wanted to stay in Texas. But he was so persistent. I mean, one year went by, he would call me and talk to me about it and say, thank you. I didn't say no, but I didn't say yes. I'm just like putting him off. You ever do that? You know, somebody's asking you for something and it's like, yeah, I'm just keeping the ball in the air, but I'm sure not making any commitment here. And so another year went by, and he kept calling me, and I kept thanking him. And finally, I think it was in 1984, in July of 84, he and his wife drove down from Kansas to talk to Mary Alice and me, and they told us about Wichita. And frankly, it sounded like an overgrown country town to, to hear that. And you have to understand, guys, you know, every once in a while I hear people talk about moving from the, the country into Wichita and how big Wichita is. Wichita is the smallest place I've ever lived in my life. I'm from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. My first church was in Houston. And, and so I thanked them. You know, I, I said, oh, it's so kind of you to drive all the way down and talk to me. And, and I listened respectfully. But I can still remember that, that July night, I, I walked them out to their car, which was out of my, out of, out of my curb. And I, I walked back up the driveway to our new house. And I looked up into the sky that night and the stars were out. And I can remember asking, this is a very vivid memory in my mind. I, kept, I was asking, why would I ever want to leave? I'm comfortable here. And just that fast, I mean, it's not like the Holy Spirit has like really talked to me strongly a lot of times, but I mean, it's like just that fast. It was like the Holy Spirit said, whoever said I wanted you comfortable? Well, that didn't change my mind, though. <laughs> I still didn't want to go. About two weeks later, my phone rang, and it was this pastor. And he called me and said, Mark, I just want you to come to Kansas and just see if you have any interest. He said, I would like to have you speak at a banquet on a Saturday night and then speak for a Sunday service. And just come up and see if you have any interest. I said, okay, sure. But my heart wasn't in it. I remember a Friday afternoon, we were supposed to drive to Kansas. And I was still working at my office, taking care of some last-minute stuff. And Mary Alice had packed the car, and she had driven to my office to pick me up. And she walked in, and I said, I'm not going. I'm not going. Rebellion. And she said, excuse me? I said, I'm not going. And she said, Mark, I've been following you around since you were 16 years old, and you've never said you were going to speak at a church and just didn't show up. So it was based on the guilt that she generated 
And I got in the car, and, and I got to tell you, all the way up I-35, I was saying to myself, I'm going to get this over with, and I'm going to go back home. I came up and spoke that weekend, and something changed inside of me. And until last night, I've never told the church what that was. But what changed inside of me has affected the last 25 years for me. Because now, as crazy as it sounds, I love this place. I love Wichita. And this church, after my God and my family, is the love of my life. Do you know what changed? When I got up here, I began to see God in this situation. God put within me this incredible sense that he wanted to do something fantastic with this church in this town and let me be part of it. On the way up here, I didn't want to come at all. On the way back to Texas, I couldn't wait to get back to Kansas because I had begun to see this in God. And the enthusiasm still remains after 25 years. It's amazing. Every once in a while, someone will say, Mark, did you ever dream all this? Did you ever think this was possible? Did you ever imagine this? And the answer to that question is yes. Absolutely. I mean, within weeks after I got here, God began to show me ideas and thoughts. Didn't materialize for a long time, but they all came to pass. My issue was not that the facts, I mean, after all, this is still Kansas, and Texas is still Texas, and it's still cold here, and it's still warm there. And this is still a small area. Facts are all the same. What changed was my attitude. How about you today? What's your attitude like? Is it rebellious or is it enthusiastic? You have the power to change your attitude if you will see your circumstances in God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we've learned today. And help me, you know the places where I need to change my attitude. And I pray you'll help everyone who's gathered here today. And I pray that you'll just like show us what you want to do in our lives so that we can be enthusiastic. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just still pray with me for a moment? Life begins when God moves into our lives. You know, God is at work all around us. And even if you haven't started following Christ, God is still at work, you know, around you. But what's really powerful is when God moves into your life. And the way that happens is through what Jesus Christ did for us. Jesus is God's son. And our sins, like I talked about, that's when we've deviated from God's perfect plan. All of us have sins. The Bible says all we've, like sheep, have gone astray. Jesus came into our world in order to pay for all of our brokenness and debris. And God moving into our lives happens when we tell God we know we're a sinner. We believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And we invite the living Son of God into our lives. And every weekend, in all four services, I talk to us about this. Because it's the most important thing in the world. It's more important than where you were educated, how you look, what you do for a living. More important than anything. 
that you know Jesus Christ. And it's so simple. All God wants from you and me is to open up our lives to Christ, to invite him in. In fact, you can receive Christ by just praying. And I want to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words, but if it's in your heart and you want Christ to move into your life today, and you want to live your life in God, and God in you, it's possible. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to give you a little bit of time in between the phrases so that you can think about it and mean it from your heart, because that's what matters. But if you're ready to receive Christ, here we go. Dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I've deviated from your perfect plan. But I believe you love me. I believe you died in my place. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. Thank you for doing just that. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, if you just prayed that prayer, when you came in today, you got a, 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 a guide to the service. It's really important for what needs to happen next. If you just prayed to receive Christ, I have a packet I want to give you. I know the prayer happens so fast. You can say, what happened to me? That's what this packet is all about. There's some DVDs and great stuff in there that we've prepared to help you know what it means to know Jesus and follow him and explain what just happened. It's our gift. It costs you not a penny. If you will just take your your worship folder, detach it on the perforation. I always pick up the wrong side. And then just put your name and address on there and just check the box that you prayed to receive Christ. You can drop it in the offering bags. You can drop it in the boxes at the back. And I'll mail this to you this week. And if you, I know we were crowded, but if you have just a few extra seconds, if you don't want to wait for this, if you prayed to receive Christ, all you have to do is I'm going to point right through the middle doors. There's two zones right, right past those doors called guest services and New Spring Store. And you know, they're not going to ask you any questions or anything. All you got to do is just bring this and say, I prayed with Mark. And they'll give you this, and you can take it home with you today. Because we're concerned. What we, what we care about is that you really know Jesus Christ. Next week, we move into change agent number four. I can't wait for that. We're so glad you're here today. Thank you for being at New Spring. 